This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 84. In this episode, I will tell the story of the great ultra runner from South Africa, Wally Hayward, who held the 100-mile and 24-hour world records in the 1950s. First, let me pull back the curtain and help you understand what it takes to put these episodes together. Each episode, including the article, takes about 30 hours of my effort to research, write, script, edit, publish, and publicize each episode. Each month, there are more than 100,000 downloads of these history stories. I enjoy discovering and unraveling the history, but the time commitment is huge. It is a labor of love. I deeply appreciate the few donations that have come in, but financially it is becoming a significant drain. I need help to continue. Please consider becoming a Patreon member of Ultra Running History. You can become part of the effort to preserve and document this history by signing up to contribute a few dollars each month. Please go to ultrarunninghistory.com member to become my partner and help. That's ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become a Patreon member. Now to the story. 2021 marks the 100th anniversary of the Comrades Marathon, about 54 miles, held in South Africa. Some of the greatest ultra runners of the 1900s came out of South Africa and made a great racing career running at Comrades. In episode 83, I shared the story of Hardy Ballington, the forgotten man of ultra-running. In this episode, I will tell the story of the next great South African ultra-runner, Wally Hayward. This episode is largely adapted from an article written by world ultra-running historian Andy Milroy of England, and also from the book, Just Call Me Wally. Early conditioning can be very important for a runner. Wally Hayward came from a very tough background that became foundational in his success as a great ultra-runner. His father, Wallace Hayward, was born in England in 1880, the son of a coal agent. He emigrated to South Africa about 1905 when he was in his early 20s. Wallace met and married Cornelia Kritzinger. Cornelia was the youngest of eight children, an Afrikaner farmer in Natal. She was born in 1878 and grew up in a hard-working family. The men in the family worked clearing land from 4 a.m. until dark. The daughters did household chores such as making jams, baking cakes, and sewing clothes. But by her mid-twenties, she left the farm for the city life of Durban. She found a job as a cook in a children's home and married Wallace. He had become a barman in a Durban hotel, and the couple later lived in one of the hotel rooms. On July 10, 1908, Wally Hayward was born, named after his father. Other siblings were born during the next few years. When Wally was 18 months old, the family moved to the large city of Johannesburg. Without skills, his father found it difficult to get work and once again wound up as a barman in a hotel and began drinking heavily. About 1914, when Wally was six, his father found a job working in a mine and eventually became a mine captain, mining gold at Boxburg, a settlement not far from Johannesburg. As a child, Wally was pretty headstrong. He wrote, 
I had developed a bad habit of throwing tantrums. If I could not get my own way, I used to lie down and bang my head on the floor. On one occasion when shopping with my mother, I threw a tantrum while walking down the street. I discovered that the road was a lot harder than the floorboards. I didn't do much banging after that. As World War I erupted, his father enlisted and soon was shipped to the Western Front in Belgium and likely experienced the violent battle of Delville Wood that left the countryside desolate with charred stumps and corpses everywhere with more than 2,500 South African deaths. While Wally's father was away in the war, his mother became seriously ill during the worldwide Spanish flu epidemic. He wrote, People were dying in droves. Every day we could see the horse-drawn hearses going up and down the street loaded with coffins. Mom caught the flu and was desperately ill. It was some time before she recovered fully. In 1919, his father returned from the war and went back to work in the mine. But working in the mines was dangerous. Wallace soon developed tuberculosis from the dust <laughs> aggravated by his heavy smoking and drinking. He was forced to retire and given a pension by the company at the age of 40. He was later able to get a job with a bakery, but this meant he was away sometimes for weeks. The family burden fell on Wally's mother to raise the four children. Money was very tight. With the pension money, food was put on the table or at least vegetables and fruit. A cow provided milk and hens produced eggs. Much of his father's earnings went to alcohol. Sadly, Wally's father's condition went downhill and after spending the last eight months of his life in bed, he died in 1922 at only 42 years old. His mother did not go to his funeral harboring bitter feelings toward his lack of support over the years. His mother decided that the survival of the family was entirely up to her. She had a leather strap with six tails made to discipline the boys, and Wally received the brunt of the punishment, often with cause. But as the eldest child, the toughest task fell upon him. It is apparent that Hayward got his steel and toughness from his mother and his Afrikaans heritage, as well as from his childhood. His great determination developed a very methodical mind. His mother's strong discipline gave rise to his own strong self-discipline. The house they lived in had no running water or electricity. Every morning, Hayward went to walk down the hill 300 yards to a well and bring up four gallons of water. On Mondays, which was wash day, he had to carry double that amount, weighing 80 pounds. This early uphill resistance training, when he was in his mid-teens, built the core strength and massive calf muscles that would distinguish him later in life. When Wally was 13, the town was hit by a terrible swarm of locusts. He recalled, The countryside looked more like winter than summer. People were running around with empty paraffin tins or any tins they could lay their hands on, bang them, trying to chase the locusts away. It never made any difference. By the time the locusts had finished their fill, there was very little left. The fatherless family moved to a house with a deep pit for a toilet, with a bucket at the bottom. Hayward was responsible for emptying that bucket each week and digging a hole in the garden to bury what they called the night soil. Oh, you stink! In later life, Hayward attributed his large lungs in part 
to the fact that he had to hold his breath when he was tackling this very smelly job. Travel to and from school involved a three-mile out-and-back each day. The outdoor life meant that Hayward ran and walked everywhere. They had no car, nor was there public transportation. At the age of 16, Hayward became an apprentice as a carpenter. He was very meticulous in his work, and his mantra was, if you can't do it properly, don't do it at all. After I started working, I decided to buy myself a packet of cigarettes. I thought I was such a big shot. I decided to have a smoke. I lit it up, had two draws, and started coughing and sputtering. I thought if this is what smoking was about, then it's not for me. Walking towards me was an old African. I gave him the lighted cigarette together with the full packet. He stood there and looked at me as though he was dreaming, thanked me, and walked away, probably thinking Christmas had come early. A neighbor talked Hayward into taking a running job to put in stakes for diamond mining claims. I had never run before, but he said I would be fine as I was always running and walking everywhere. They would represent prospectors and run to stake in square claims with pegs. One huge claim run involved 6,000 runners from ages 8 to 70. Prospectors gave the runners an idea where they wanted their claims, and when the flag dropped for the start, it was a mass stampede to go stake the best claims. Hayward described the chaos. When I got to the spot that I was to peg, there was an argument going on between a man who pegged some valuable claims and two big bullies who had pulled his pegs out and put in their own. There was a big dispute which resulted in the poor man who pegged first being beaten up and his leg broken. In 1927, at the age of 19, he joined a boys' club and was invited to go running. His first run ended up being for 10 miles, which he thought was nuts. That's crazy. In those days, there was no one to tell you how or when you should run. There was no books to advise you. I used to go out training every afternoon. Just two years later, in 1929, he joined the Wanderers Running Club and ran in a few races. He received a booklet about the Comrades Marathon and wrote to the race director, Vic Clapham, expressing interest. Clapham replied, and Hayward was dismayed to discover the race was 56 miles. He had not yet run half that distance. Despite the misgivings, he entered the 1930 Comrades and traveled by train to Durban to run the up version of the course to Peter Maritzburg. Hayward was clearly a rookie and went out fast. By the halfway point, he surprised everyone and held a lead over the second place, Phil Masterson-Smith. Race director Clapham told Hayward to ease up, otherwise he would not finish. By the end, his lead was largely evaporated and he really struggled over the closing stages. However, he won by 31 seconds over Masterson-Smith. At just 21 years of age, Hayward certainly grabbed the media headlines that year with a closely fought win over Phil Masterton-Smith in 7 hours 27 minutes. I beat Masterton-Smith, I think it was only by about 30, 30 odd seconds that that was all I beat him by. Yeah, that's how he, how he caught up with me. A broken bone in his foot and a faulty diagnosis of a strained heart caused Hayward to not defend his comrade's title. At age 23, he was told to never run again. He put running aside for a couple years until a specialist told him the diagnosis was rubbish and told him to go home and put on his running shoes. 
1936, he ran in the Olympic trials for the Berlin Olympics, but his calf muscle seized up and he had to withdraw from the race. The next year, he won a South African track title at a shorter four-mile event and was selected for the 1938 Sydney Empire Games. He won a bronze medal for the six-miler. During the Second World War, he joined the South African Engineer Corps, reached the rank of sergeant, and served in North Africa and Italy. He was awarded the British Empire Medal for bravery going into a blazing building. Hayward returned home from the war in 1945 and decided to start training seriously. He would often run home from work, returning after dark at 10 p.m. In 1946, he won the National Marathon Championships in 239. The next year, he injured his right foot, which put him out of action for four months. When he was able to return to training and racing, the leg trouble returned and he was out for three more months, making him miss the 1948 Olympic marathon trials. He gained strength and was recovered in 1950 when he won Comrades for the second time. The next year, 1951, he broke the down record in 6 hours and 14 minutes. In 1952, when he unexpectedly won the South African Marathon Championships in 237, he was selected for the South African Olympic Marathon team. Hayward was 44 when he ran at Helsinki in the Olympics. He was the oldest runner in the field. He was very fit, but five days before the Olympic race, he developed a pain in his left calf. He was given a pain-killing ejection, but it was not that effective. As he raced, the calf gradually became more and more painful, but the fierce Hayward determination kicked in and he finished 10th, only eight minutes behind the winner, beating his younger South African teammates. That evening, Hayward was taken to the hospital with a swollen calf reputedly the size of a rugby ball. He stayed in the hospital for five or six days. Deprived of success in the Olympics, Hayward turned his attention to the longer races. In 1953, he won the Comrades again, being the first man to break six hours on the down run with a time of five hours, 52 minutes. Later that year, in 1953, he made another venture onto the world stage, this time at a distance where he was more preeminent. Like South African Hardy Ballington before him, Hayward went to England to run London to Brighton, 52 miles, and also go after the 100-mile world record. He received four months off his job and mortgaged his home to raise expenses. The legendary Arthur Newton hosted him at his home. At London to Brighton, it was evidence shortly after the start that Hayward was out to win. Shortly after 20 miles, he went into the lead and was ahead of the course record pace set by Newton. By 40 miles, he was well ahead of the field and went on to win in 5 hours 29 minutes, crushing the record time by 22 minutes. Less than a month after his Brighton win, Hayward set out on his 100-mile run to Hyde Park Corner in London. Two other runners were in the 100-mile time trial, Derek Reynolds and the young Jackie Meckler. Newton gave advice to the rookie 100-mile runners about hitting the wall at about mile 70. The runners received enemas before going to bed the evening before in order to save time spent in the bushes during the race. 
Runner Jackie Meckler wrote about the local enthusiasm for the race. This was exciting stuff for the local inhabitants, many of whom stayed on in the bar at the hotel until the start of the race. A lively party was still going strong when we arrived for a light breakfast at 2.30 a.m. It was absolutely bizarre eating this early morning meal amidst the blaring music being thumped out on a piano. The party came to an abrupt end when we were called to the start. Apart from a pool of light from the hotel, it was pitch dark. They were off and running at 3 a.m. Hayward wrote, I set off with a good measure of confidence and ran steadily for the whole race. Fortunately, I didn't hit the wall as Newton predicted, for which I was thankful. My time was 12 hours, 20 minutes. I broke Ballington's record by 1 hour, 53 minutes. It was reported, The South African finished with a sprint and was given a great ovation by the waiting crowd as he broke the tape. His nearest rivals were more than an hour behind him. Newton was still not content. He next suggested that Hayward try and break Newton's 24-hour world best of 152 miles. Hayward was not very enthusiastic about the idea, but did not want to disappoint the iconic Newton. Hayward wrote, I was somewhat dumbfounded, bearing in mind 72 miles was my longest ever training run. 100 miles was bad enough. Now he wanted me to tackle a world record that stood at over 152 miles. The man was nuts. Newton again assisted Hayward with pre-race preparation and race strategy. It was believed he could reach 170 miles. The attempt was arranged at very short notices for judges, timekeepers, lap scorers, and others. The venue selected was at Motspur Park. Motspur Park Athletic Stadium was built by the University of London in 1928 and achieved fame when the world mile record was set there in 1938 on the 440-yard cinder track. Hayward was still suffering some leg pain from the 100-miler but was reasonably confident he could compete well. Six runners competed. Newton again assisted Hayward with pre-race preparation and race strategy. It was believed he could reach 170 miles. The historic race began on November 20th, 1953 at 11 a.m. in foggy weather. Hayward started out running comfortable seven-minute miles. He reached 50 miles in six hours, six minutes with a 12-minute lead. By 60 miles, I was ahead of the existing world record for the intermediate distances and broke the 100-mile world record with a time of 12 hours, 46 minutes, and 34 seconds. The first to break 13 hours. After reaching 100 miles, he came off the track for his only long stop for a massage and a bowl of rice pudding. After a half hour's rest, cramping set in and he could hardly walk. Olympic marathoner Tom Richards was there and observed, He had stiffened up so much that it was as if rigor mortis had set in. We took in turns trying to massage some life back into his legs. His huge calf muscles were solid like oak. Eventually he managed to jog on in a painful, awkward-looking style. At dawn he was moving with about 10-minute miles with four more hours to go. Hayward used different hand signals for the different drinks he needed, so his handlers had what he wanted ready when he arrived at the feeding station. This illustrated how obsessive attention to detail impacted his running, making it more efficient and effective. 
The effect of the extreme fatigue on Hayward was shown when he was given some tea in a paper cup. It was so hot that his handler could hardly bear to hold it. Hayward complained it was cold and threw it away. During the race, he fed mostly on egg custard and rice. He also drank warmed lemon juice laced with sugar and with salt to ward off cramps. He drank tea and coffee with plenty of sugar. He went through two pounds of sugar and drank an occasional fizzy drink to wash his mouth out. <sighs> Hayward broke Newton's 152-mile 24-hour record, but in the last 80 minutes could only manage 5 miles an hour. He finished with 159 miles, a new 24-hour world record. Hayward held the 24-hour record for the next 26 years. Hayward wasn't terribly pleased with his performance. He said the veins in his right calf of his leg gave him severe pains during the last 10 hours. At the finish, he said, Thank God that's over. Never again. It was awful. Never, never say never again. Never, never say never again. It was reported. He flopped exhausted on the dressing room bench and scarcely seemed interested as his aides told him he had smashed every known record from eight hours up. During the monotonous jogging around the oval, he had lost seven pounds. He later reflected. I really made a hash of it. Coming off the track at 100 miles was the biggest mistake I ever made. I just couldn't get going again. For me, it was a wasted opportunity. I should have gone considerably further than I did. If anyone breaks my record, good luck to them. On his return to South Africa, Hayward won the 1954 Comrades in record time, his fifth win, and he was the first man since Arthur Newton to hold both the up and down Comrades records. Later that year, he attempted to improve on his 100-mile world record. On July 17, 1954, during the South African winter, Hayward, age 46, attempted his 100-mile run from Standerton to Germiston. The weather turned bad with a strong wind a few hours before the start. Hayward ate a pre-race meal of a huge steak, two eggs, and 12 slices of brown bread and jam. He was away running at 1 a.m. and said, It was so bitter cold that I put my tracksuit top on, which was not much use as first the rain began, followed by sleep. On top of this, I was running into a 40-mile-per-hour headwind. The judges suggested I abort the run and try in better conditions, but I refused. I was determined to carry on and come what may. His crew chief kept him full of hot tea or coffee and would throw a heavy woolen blanket over his head and shoulders during his stops. Despite the challenging conditions, he made good progress and in the morning was joined by boys from a local orphanage. He reached 50 miles in 6 hours 20 minutes. With a few miles to go in the afternoon, he still had hopes of breaking the record. However, a steep hill took its toll on him. Hundreds of people, including my wife and daughter, congregated to welcome me at the finish. The crowd gave me a great cheer as I completed the final mile lap and breasted the tape in 13 hours, 8 minutes. This was a new South African record, but well outside my world record time. Less than a month later came a hammer blow. The South African Athletic and Cycling Association declared Hayward a professional. 
During his trip in England, he had received 286 pounds in grants, scholarships, and donations. He also had been interviewed on the radio and his photo had appeared on a calendar. He had not received a penny in payment. Despite a petition, the association would not change its opinion. The declaration was highly controversial and condemned throughout the country. He said, The whole episode was very, very distressing. It was grossly unfair and left me a bitter man. I had done my best for South Africa and this had happened. On the Saturday after the announcement, he had to stand and watch a 10-mile race he had planned to run in. He also could no longer be a member of the Roadrunners Club. During this period, I kept running fit. I had a small plot for a garden at Hardy B Sport Dam, and invariably at the weekend, I used to do a 10 to 15-mile run and finish off with a dip in the dam. I would indulge in a bit of gardening before heading home. I never did the amount of training that I used to do when I was competitive. The ban from competition remained for 20 years until 1974 when he was reinstated after he sent in an application with documentation. After 20 years, I started serious training. At age 56, he made an impact on veteran events, including the Masters World Championships. He then became sidelined because of Achilles tendon surgery, but soon was back pounding the pavement without any after effects. In 1978, at the age of 78, he finished the Natal Veterans Marathon in an astonishing three hours and six minutes. In 1988, at the age of 79, he finished Comrades in under 10 hours, beating half of the field. He finished again the next year at the age of 80. He fell soon after the start, causing great concern. But he got up, dusted himself off, and proceeded to complete the Comrades Marathon. He only just beat the time limit and was hospitalized for a few days. In the 1990s, in his 80s, Hayward moved to a retirement village. I'm not old, so I don't know what I'm doing here. We may be old in years, but that's all. There is a man who goes skateboarding around the village, which is against the rules. We even have delinquents. Hayward's opportunities to shine on the world stage were largely restricted by injury or by the war. He won five comrades marathons, but arguably could have won at least seven if he had not been suspended for receiving money. When considering where to place Wally Hayward into the timeline of the Comrades Marathon, there is a definite dilemma. Does he fit in with his first win in 1930 or during his golden period, the 1950s, or in his last two races in 1988 and 89? Truth be told, it could be in any of these three eras. His strength made him well-suited to the 100 mile in 24 hours. He could have got closer to 12 hours in 100 miles and 170 miles in 24 hours. Hayward's character and running career was molded by the demand of his childhood and his discipline and self-determination. His impact in the early 1950s when he appeared in England, breaking three well-established distant records before disappearing back to South Africa, gave the impression of a 46-year-old superhuman. An impression reinforced when he finished the Comrades Marathon at the age of 80. Bruce Fordyce, also from South Africa, who later won nine consecutive times at Comrades, wrote, 
Wally Hayward was the greatest Comrades Marathon winner and runner. He was one of South Africa's best-known and best-loved sports heroes. Humble and modest, with time for every fan and every runner to shake his hand, Wally Hayward was more concerned about giving back to charity and to the sport than he was with enriching himself. After spending some years in a nursing home, Wally Hayward died in 2006 at the age of 97. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.